Welcome to OOO, an out of ordinary podcast where we dig deep into case studies and the nitty gritty of Web3 marketing. You'll find here all the amazing people that are building Web3, so stick to us as we address their marketing secrets and learn how to build amazing products and brands. Hello everyone, I'm Alex, your fellow Web3 marketer and the host on Out of Ordinary Podcast. This is episode 25. Let me introduce you to my guest. Justin Vogel is the co-founder of the well-known Safari Club. If you don't know about it already, Safari is a community-first company rebuilding the marketing stack in Web3 starting with attribution. Web3 teams use their platform to understand their marketing CAC, channel ROI, and customer LTV. But first and foremost, it's a community. Safari community consists of the top Web3 growth leaders from Ledger, Dapper Labs, CoinMarketCap, and 200 other Web3 companies. Members exchange insights and work together to reverse engineer Web3 growth tactics seen in the wild. Hi, Justin. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for accepting the invitation and being uh, with me today. I'm very excited for this episode and um, looking forward to it. Yeah, same. Excited to be here. Um, can you uh, tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into Web3? Yeah, um, I got my start in Web3 as a founder in um, fall of 2021. Back then, we were built, we were thinking deeply about communities and uh, about the future of work. And so we were building a DAO tool like many others were at the height of the bull market. Uh, though obviously that uh, market quickly crumbled and we had to go look for uh, other types of interesting problems to solve. Um, but a core part of the, that journey of, of starting that first idea was really trying to figure out how to take that product to market. And that's when I really leaned on my growth background and realized that not that many people were talking about growth and marketing in Web3. Uh, how did uh, Safari start? Is it how it started? Yeah, so it's funny, you know, we built this DAO tool, um, which was kind of like an Asana for DAOs. And we um, were trying to take it to market and we were going around to all these t- different communities and saying like, hey, you should try our DAO tool. And they were like, cool, like, well, it's really interesting, but what other communities are using it? We we're like, well, none, you're going to be the first. And they were like, okay, bye, here's the door, right? <laughs> Goodbye. Um, and so, you know, the initial idea for Safari started as kind of like a go-to-market growth hack in reality was we were like, well, you know, if it's hard to solve the cold start problem of getting our first community to use our tool, let's just create our own community. And that will enable us to sort of dog food our own product, uh, figure out how community managers really think. Um, and that will help us also empathize with them as we built out this DAO tool. Um, and what happened in the end was created this great community. Uh, people really loved the community. We're getting interest and it was it kept surging. Uh, but at the same time, the Dow tooling market was kind of like slipping and going down the tubes. And so we did a very Web3 thing and we decided to uh, ditch the tool and go all in on the community and see where that took us. Uh, so we're one of the few community-first companies truly um, because we, we started as Safari. I mean, everybody in Web3 is looking for a uh, build a community right before they start, they, they do the product or they, they fundraise. So um, 
Um, I think like a lot of the questions that I'm going to be asking you moving forward are kind of connected to that as well, because it's a very big curiosity of mine. Um, so now you told me um, a bit about Safari. What kind of marketers now join Safari and why is it important for them to be part of this community? The uh, marketers that, that join are, um, they are really looking for two things. They're looking to learn and they're looking to meet other growth leaders. Uh, this might sound simple, but when we first uh, started the Safari community, we realized that a lot of growth leaders in Web3 didn't know each other. Uh, they didn't know another head of growth at another company within the industry. Uh, they're pretty siloed. Um, and not only did they not know other growth leaders outside their company, most of them were solo practitioners. So they're the only person doing growth at their company. And so they didn't really have anyone to talk to about growth. Um, and as you're aware, you know, Web3 growth and marketing is a crazy, crazy space. There are not resources out there for Web3 growth leaders to learn about what other people are doing. Um, and it's very much a you tell your friends what your what strategies you're running and uh, you learn from there uh, type of space because it moves so quickly. And so the big motivation for a lot of growth leaders was, you know, where can I meet other awesome growth leaders and hear what what strategies and tactics they're deploying in real time, uh, because that's there's nowhere else to get that type of information today. And so that's the, the purpose that our community served almost a year and a half ago when we first started. And I, I believe that's still the value prop today. And yet there's, there's very few resources, but at the same time, everybody is, ex is expecting you to do wonders, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we have created actually a ton of different resources out there. So we have... Uh, our Web3 growth market map that that catalogs all of the different Web3 growth tools in the industry. Uh, there are almost 200 of them today. We have our Web3 growth canon, uh, which is 50 of the top Web3 resources, Web3 growth resources. Um, most of them have been written by Safari members themselves. Uh, so we're definitely trying to create those resources, but still, we're in an industry that is uh, a frontier industry and moves very fast. So even writing these playbooks, they go out of date quite quickly. Yeah, for sure. Um, so before we dig deeper into our conversation, I want to know, I want to know why why do you think everybody's obsessed about growth in Web three? You know, it actually hasn't always been the case, um, and it really wasn't the case until the bear market began. In the bull market, growth and marketing was really an afterthought at best, and that was something that perplexed me when I first entered the space, and uh, is why we started going down this uh, safari path. Um, we were thinking, you know, growth and marketing, it seems so obvious. Why is nobody, nobody talking about it? Uh, people are going to have to talk about it eventually. Um, but now at this point, I think it makes a lot of sense why, why growth and marketing is why everyone's obsessed with it is because it's not easy anymore. Uh, that's why it's now the, the hard thing. It is the number one uh, challenge that Web3 companies are thinking about and facing about, uh, facing every single day in, in these, these bear market times. Uh, so I think it's, it's pretty obvious at this point in time, why, why uh, growth, why everyone's so obsessed with it because it's because they don't have it. <laughs> I think I was asking more from the direction of like startups, because like every single startup that I meet, they all want growth. They even, they haven't even built a brand, but they want to grow. So I think that's why I was asking, and this is like a pretty big concern of mine because I'm the kind of person that, 
I like to build things a bit slower. I like to do things steadier for like a longer period of time. I don't want to do like spikes and then like nobody is going to hear about you again. So maybe I'm not exactly the, that kind of marketer at heart. Um, so yeah, this is a, a pretty big concern of mine, like long-term uh, about this industry. Uh, and I'm very curious to see like, how is it going to evolve if it's going to evolve or it's just going to stay like this for a bit of a longer time. Well, maybe we're, we're talking about two different types of growth here, which you might be alluding to. Like in the bull market, we saw a lot of what I call like big bang growth which is like the huge like come up and then like the huge come down, uh, the huge crash. Um, and that is not sustainable growth. Um, and that is really what we saw most in the, in the, in the um, bull market. But now people are launching much more sustainable growth strategies uh, that take longer to, to build, but also yields much longer term results. So uh, we're definitely seeing a pivot in the right direction for uh, the types of strategies that are being deployed um, and the growth front by growth leaders. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Um, bull market versus uh, bear market community growth. What are some differences you've noticed and are there any, especially with you growing Safari, but maybe with other um, growth leaders in your community as well? Yeah. I mean, as we we're just alert, alluding to in the last question, bull versus bear market growth, they're completely different games. The bull market was a lot of fluff. And in many ways, you were rewarded for producing a ton of noise and that sort of big brain growth that we were talking about. There were a ton of people faking engagement and growth um, by buying followers, uh, having Discord bots. And you know that still happens to a degree, but I think it's a lot more obvious now when it happens. Maybe that's just because we're in a bear market. It's like if you got like five million like impressions on this random NFT project in like you know like last month, it's probably not real. Uh, and people people know that to be the case. Versus in the bull market, it was like, well, like this is the future. This is the the hype. Um, and but I think the truth of the matter was. Yeah, that that wasn't quite fully real either for a lot of those projects, but it was a lot harder to see in the bull market. Um, now in the bear market, it's a long-term game. Teams are focused on uh, things that they didn't have the luxury to spend time on during the bull market because the bull market was this crazy frenzy. Um, so some of the things that they have time to do now that they didn't before are like putting the right tech stack in place, thinking about their systems and getting their data in a useful state. Um, versus in the bull market, most teams were really just flying completely blind. Do you think it depends or like, do you think it's a difference between like bigger companies that maybe have some resources and they can afford to build more sustainably right now in the bull, in the bear market and companies that are just at the beginning of, uh, of their journey and they just need some traction like right away. And I think it's a, it's a matter of mentality at the same time. That's kind of what I'm noticing. Yeah. I think it, it depends on how you start. Like there are a lot of um, NFT projects in the bull market that just kind of like came out of nowhere with this big brain growth. Obviously, we see this still to a certain degree in the bear market, but I think that most projects have to rely on that more slow community building, get it right for the right segment, um, value props. And then after a certain point in time, once they've really nailed that organic word of mouth marketing, then they can start doing what we call what we'd think of as more like that traditional big bang growth with 
uh, more scaled uh, paid acquisition and, and other types of methods. Um, but I think that the the beginning phases are, are slower in the bear market, and I think they're slower intentionally too. One of the things I also want to want to touch on is I noticed a lot of founders buying into the superficial metrics of having their community active for twenty four seven. And what I wanted to know, from what I know, Safari is not an active community at twenty four seven. And what would you tell to these founders? Um, and how would you, um, or like what? Yeah, what kind of advice would you give to these founder founders when? Um, talking to marketers and understanding it, that they don't have to ask this. Yeah. You know, I think that the, the 24 seven community, uh, a lot, this was very, very uh, much the case in the bull market. And I think that it's still that sort of same mentality in the bear as well. In my opinion, even thinking about a 24 seven community is kind of a fallacy. And I have yet to see a great example of an authentic, genuine, great 24-7 community. So I'd say, don't do it. It doesn't make sense. It's going to cost your team a ton of time and a ton of resources to try and maintain a 24-7 community. And as you might be aware, many, many people tried in the bear, in the bull market to do that uh, with you know localization, community managers all over the world, um, and lots of different things. And I don't think that that um, is the way forward. I think that a lot of community builders and projects really need to gear back to like, what are the core outcomes that I'm trying to achieve with my community and how is my community uh, benefiting its members? Um, and a lot of the times I would have gandered that a 24-7 community is not achieving one of those goals, the core goals of the actual product, project. I can actually give two examples of communities that are run almost 24-7 but I think it's a bit of a different um, situation because in the first one, do you know about, do you know about Shifai? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the women's community. Yeah, so I'm part of Shifai and Shifai has like ge- geographically yeah, location uh, telegram groups. And I think that's, and you know, like some people, they're in the US, some people are in Asia, some people are in Europe. And that kind of runs kind of 24 seven, but it's a different situation, I, I think as well. And it, it also runs by itself at most times. And, uh, another example I have is also a community that also runs by itself. So, um, because it was something by people with people, it wasn't, um, somebody who had like a mission, like I'm a company and I have this product and I have to like build this thing and so on. So I think it was. It's a bit of a difference there. Yeah. I mean, Safari is a global community. We've always had members around the world, but I think that I'm maybe more focused on a lot of these NFT projects that really try to keep their Discord server like, you know, going every, you know, like 20 minutes people are are talking continuously, which I think is is really hard to pull off. For sure. Um, so if you were to name a few, what are your top five community building lessons you've learned while building Safari? I think one of the most important is from the beginning days is community design. Like what is the, um, segment that you're catering to and what is the community value prop? Uh, so that's really like who and like for what purpose. So for us, it's very clear. We are catering to growth leaders and what we offer them is the ability to learn new growth strategies and connect with other growth leaders. Uh, But I think that that's not always very clear for a lot of communities when they go in. 
Uh, they often might think about, oh, our community is for everyone. Um, but I found that if your community is for everyone, it's, it's really for no one. Um, and your value prop won't uh, hold and be really sticky for um, a large group of, of your community members. So I think right. it's better from the beginning to niche down. Like my target audience is everyone in crypto, right? No, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much the same. Yeah, not everyone in crypto, not everyone in the world. A smaller segment. Um, when it comes to uh, building a community, what are uh, the most watched things for or must know things, in your opinion? Um, you know, I think that there are a few special things that we've learned about um, community. I think that one of them is really to optimize for engagement. We were just talking about the 24-7 community, and that's not the type of engagement that I'm talking about. For example, you know, Safari, we gear around a core engagement action, which is weekly calls. Uh, so instead of having a Discord server that's active 24-7, uh, we say the way that to engage in Safari's community is to show up for these calls that happen every week. Um, and that is sort of becomes this ritual, same time, weekly, uh, that bring, brings bem- members back and reduces churn. And I think that a sort of must-know thing is now, if you want your community to be uh, consistently engaged, you also have to be consistent yourself in how you run the community. Uh, so that's sort of one uh, design element that, that we think about as well. What are some marketing trends you notice in Web3, either through what you're seeing inside or outside your community? I think, I mean, there are a lot of marketing trends these days towards abstracting the, the wallet. Um, so it's it's been very interesting to see uh, this evolve over time. When Safari was first started, members were asking themselves, you know, okay, people sign in with the wallet, but like, can I collect email after they connect their wallet? Like, can I ask the user for email? And then like a few months later, they're like, okay, yeah, like we're going to do that. And then like over time, it was like, okay, well, I don't have any data, but now I can email them. But like, I don't know, understand where they came from. Uh, like, can I track those things? Is that with the ethos or not? Um, and so I think that there are these types of questions that growth leaders are constantly going back and forth on. And you know, I think that what three growth leaders have gotten a lot more practical in the bear market because they've had to be. They can't rely on like crazy, you know, Ponzi-nomic-like uh, activities to get people to, you know, leap over uh, all the different humps um, and obstacles in order to, you know, mint something that's going to make them a thousand X. Um, and so they've had to get a lot more practical and really test their onboarding flows um, in a way that is uh, ensures sustainable acquisition and retention. So I think that's a big trend that we've seen emerge very, very slowly over time, um, but uh, is continuing to be be the trend that we see across uh, lots of different companies. Do you think IRL events like have an impact in like how communities grow nowadays, for example? Like, do you think this is part of the, the trends that we were just talking about? Sorry, what type of events? IRL, like in real life. Oh, IRL. Yeah. Um, I think IRL events are definitely a core part of community um, and a core part of building a company and building a brand. I think that will always be the case to, to a degree. Um, event marketing, you know, for us in Safari, we have always had in-person meetups um, as well. And it's really amazing to see people from around the world coming together 
in one place at crypto conferences. Um, and so I think that that, I don't think that that, that will change. I think that that, that trend will, will remain, especially as long as the industry remains small and close knit. Um, I really like uh, meeting people in, in events and I, I, I can see, um, I, I wasn't part of the industry in the bull market. I only entered like sort of like in the mid hub and then I've seen like the entire, um, bear market right now. So, um, it's, uh, I'm looking forward to see like how, how things are going to be like in the bull, bull market again and like what, what people will be focusing on. But right now I see like, I see a lot of, in-person needs um, and a lot of connection needs. Um, so that's kind of what I what I also enjoy very much as well. Definitely. Um, when we talk about B2C community building, what about B2B? Um, how does this process differ and what are some things you should pay attention to? To be honest, I am much more bullish on B2B community building than B2C uh, for a couple core reasons. I think that one thing that I've learned about community building is that um, new people really, you know, we join communities in general, if you think about IRL or digital for, for the people. And that might seem obvious, but um, having even just like one touch point uh, can go a long way. Um, and in a B2C community, it's really hard to you know, match when you, when you have like 100,000 people in your B2C community. It's really hard to ensure that they, they meet each other, that they get value from each other. And that's a lot easier to do in a B2B community that's small. Um, and why am I talking about the size? Uh, with B2B, you know, you need so many fewer customers to run a sustainable business uh, than in a B2C community. So for us, you know, in Safari, if we you know, have a community, so our community today is 380 members, um, that very well could sustain us in size to through like a few funding rounds from now, right? We need to maintain relationships with a couple hundred people. Um, and that is potentially all, right? Versus a you know, consumer product. You know, if you're trying to like sell out to millions, how do you maintain that personalized touch um, from creator to a million fans is a lot harder. Um, and there are definitely ways that we can personalize that experience, um, but it just brings that an order of magnitude um, more difficult. Um, versus in a B2B community, I can, though it seems crazy, uh, meet with every single community member. Um, and for the most part, we have. So that's a unique thing about Safari's community is that when we let new people into the community, we um, offer them the chance to have a chat with me or my co-founder. Uh, so we chat with, um, we've probably chatted with around 70% of our community, one-on-one, -on -one, each of us. Um, so that's, you know, hundreds of, hundreds of members, hundreds of potential members. Uh, it's, you know, high touch, but it's possible still at this scale. Yeah, of course. With like such a still small community. Um, I, and I think it would be very important for you to, um, to get to know at least a majority of them, uh, to have that kind of relationship. Um, and I know this, um, one of the things you mentioned to me was that in China, was that China is very advanced compared to the rest of the world when it comes to marketing growth tactics. And I wanted to ask, like, what are some lessons you believe we should take away from them and what, um, what can we start implementing right away, maybe? Yeah. You know, there's this concept in, in China called private traffic, or that's at least the 
been the US term that's been used to talk about WeChat marketing. Um, and so one thing, you know, I, I take a lot of lessons from China because when I look at WeChat marketing, I feel like it looks very similar to how Discord communities have been used uh, to a much more immature degree uh, in the last couple of years. Um, so, and I think that they've really, you know, started to think deeply about these notions of like group purchasing decisions um, and also the experience around a consumer product. Uh, so I'll give an example of one case study is uh, from a, a Chinese travel company called Ctrip. Um, so Ctrip, um, they what they do is for travelers that are all traveling to the same international destination together, um, like they're separate, they don't know each other, uh, they'll give them the option to be added into this WeChat group uh, with a concierge uh, travel assistant from the brand. Um, and the brand, so what you'll see in the beginning is, you know, there are like people asking this brand representative, like, no, I'm going to, to Korea and I want to know what the weather's like or what I should pack or like these types of details uh, or what I should go see. And that person will help them with that. Um, and so it's kind of that, you know, enhanced customer service on the front end. But then they found that they see something really interesting, which is when they land, when those people who are all traveling to that destination land when the trip actually begins then they'll start messaging each other and they'll say like hey like did anyone go to see this site tonight or like anyone interested in grabbing a beer or dinner tonight uh in the group and then these groups right that were facilitated by a brand become these mini communities uh, where people actually meet each other and like how special is that that you know this travel brand is able to facilitate these small personalized group-to-group, peer-to-peer interactions in ways that these travelers may never have met each other, uh, may never have been able to benefit from each other uh, in these like small little ways. And you know, when we talk about loyalty, I think like brand loyalty, I think that that's so special and magical to think like, you know, if you met a good friend on traveling to an international destination through a certain airline through this experience, like that make you like pretty loyal to the brand. Like that's pretty special that you know, other brands can't copy. And so I think that those are some of the types of situations that this is like a web two format, right? This is, I'm not talking about web three technology that China's using, but what I am talking about is I think that they've really thought deeply about nailing the um, experience, the peer to peer consumer to consumer experience. And I think that that's what web three is, is really starting to hone in on with the importance of community. I mean, like, I think like everybody's so obsessed with like Web3, Web3, let's do everything like Web3 native. But at the same time, I think it just it's just so much to learn from Web2 yeah, still. So <laughs> I don't think that uh, that bag is, is done um, learning from yet. Um, can you give us an example of an interesting community growth case um, study which really drew your attention and, uh, and you love their growth strategy? You told us about like Safari, of course, but I was wondering if there's anybody else, um, maybe in Web3 this time, uh, that drew your attention. Yeah. Inspiration for me has always been the Jump community. Uh, the Jump community was a big inspiration for us starting Safari in the first place. Uh, for the listeners who might not know, Jump is a community of Web3 marketers. Uh, they have a really awesome founder, Jeff Kaufman, who uh, when I was talking earlier about 
you know, us trying to speak to all of our members one-on-one as they join. Uh, Jeff is that on steroids. Uh, he His claim to fame is that he chatted, I think he said, with over 700 Jump members uh, one-on-one personally. Uh, so that is like quite a feat. That is very much turning the unscalable into a scalable uh, endeavor. And I think that it has uh, really paid off for that community coming together. Um, and yeah, I would say that he is somebody that I look up to as being one of the first real like Web3 uh, marketers and Web3 marketing community builders. Um, and their their community continues to evolve. Their growth strategy, you know, I think that one thing that I've learned, if anything, about community and they're a perfect example of this too, is you can never be stagnant. You can never just have one community experience. And I've seen them grow from you know, a community to a, me- a Web3 media organization and uh, having their Web3 uh, community meetups at different conferences and trying to put their members on conference stages across the world. And I think that that is a, a great lesson um, and a great growth strategy uh, for anyone listening to cut Continue th- continually think about how you can innovate on your community strategy. And, and we definitely have tried to do the same as Safari from any to a newsletter, to a podcast, to other different types of resources uh, to constantly grow our, our community experience, both in our community and with our external community. I think this was like a, a great intro for my upcoming episode with Jeff. I'm still waiting for a confirmation for him. So I'm, I'm very excited to, to have him as a guest as well. And something that I really like is the fact that I think I've noticed a lot of people on LinkedIn, especially, but on Twitter as well, they say like, oh, I'm part of Safari or I'm part of Jump. And I think this is such a great uh, brand ambassadorship um, to, to promote your, your, your community and help it grow and make it special um, and kind of, um, I think these people take it as a badge of honor that are part of your communities. And I think this is very, very special. And I think that that's a core piece too. You know, when I, the more I've thought about community, at first I thought it was really about nailing the community experience. But as we've gone on and gotten more mature, I think it is much more about identity too, right? Is that Safari would not be so powerful, jump the same, if people didn't identify as being part of those communities and wear those sort of badges publicly on their profiles, uh, which is also a great driver of growth too, as you can imagine. People go to these interesting growth leaders' profiles and they see Safari or Jump or Myosin um, or other communities and they're like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I want to learn more about that. Uh, so it's like basically like SEO on Twitter for your community. It's kind of like this crazy magical growth tool. Um, what are some Web3 marketing tools that you really like and you think everybody should be using? I know you already mapped that those 200 tools in Web3. Um, I made a list of them as well, like only of 30, but I, I've seen like there was a lot of interest there as well. Um, so is there like any Web3 tool that you think anybody should be using or, uh, and, or, um, are there any resources that anybody that you think like people should be looking into? either to, to, to learn more about the industry, uh, to connect with people, like you name it. Definitely. I mean, it totally depends on the use case for each of these companies, but I think that they should at least be experimenting with different Web3 growth tools. Um, and so when I'm talking about experimenting, I'm talking about you know, try ad networks like Hype Lab or Slice, try quests like Layer 3 or 
Uh, YGG is also launching a questing platform. Um, try, you know, affiliate and referral marketing. Um, there are lots of different growth strategies that I feel like were really underutilized during the bull market. They were really only doing organic community-like growth and Twitter. And now a lot of communities and companies are diversifying and really experimenting. And I think that this is exactly the time to do it. So I would say, you know, probably if you're a certain type of project, like an NFT project or a game, you probably know what types of tools you should be using, whether they're wallets or on-ramps or other things to make your onboarding experience better. So for you know everyone else, I'd say this is a great opportunity to experiment with different Web3 UA channels, of which there are many, and you can refer to Safari's map to see uh, all of them and get in touch with all of them and start start figuring out what works best for you. Uh, Justin, before we, we wrap this up, um, where can people find you? Uh, the easiest place to find me is probably on Twitter. Um, so you can find me at uh, J-K-E-Y underscore ETH, E-T-H, um, or on LinkedIn as Justin dash Vogel, uh, V-O-G-E-L. Uh, we will leave your uh, your contact in the description of this episode so that anybody can um, can reach out to you uh, in an easier way. Well, Justin, thank you so much for taking the time to, to do this with me. I know it's very late for you and I really appreciate it. And I'm um, looking forward to, to maybe doing another episode with you and to, to share more lessons, maybe like when the, when the bull market starts. Yeah, thanks. This was fun. <laughs> See you. See you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to our Out of Ordinary podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to hear more content like this, then open up the podcast app and click on the follow or subscribe button. It takes less than five seconds and is the single best thing you can do to support the show and stay up to date to more marketing strategies that are being used in the Web3 space.